Uh, Without further ado, will you open in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We are continuing in our study through the book of Acts. We're looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And the next five sermons, including uh, this one, will be specifically about the church of Ephesus, the planning of the church of Ephesus. So we, this is kind of like a little mini-series in Acts where we're learning lessons from Ephesus. So this sermon is called Remember Your First Love. So we'll read Acts 19, 1 through 7. All right, Acts 19 says this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your living and active word. Thank you that it's God breathed and it's powerful. Lord, I ask that you would speak to your church today through your living word that each of us would hear from God, that the Holy Spirit, you would fall, you would lead us in repentance and help us to see the glory and beauty of Jesus. And would would we all fall more in love with our Jesus, our Savior this morning? It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, do you have a passion or hobby or maybe person that you just love? If you do, Uh, Do you remember the days when it was like when you were just learning about that thing or that person? Do you remember the early days when you were just young and in love? Do you remember that? Do you remember maybe some of the foolish decisions you had made, maybe financially, maybe just like, what am I doing? What am I saying? So my wife and I have been dating uh, for a long time. We were 16 when we started to date. And as I was thinking about the sermon, this story came to mind of the foolish things we do when we're young and in love. So I was in high school And it was a Sunday night, and I didn't have school the next day for some reason, and she did. And I was just up late, you know, thinking about how much I love this girl. And uh, so I was like, you know, I'm going to write her a love letter. Nobody does that anymore. So I wrote her this love letter, and then I was just so inspired in the moment. I was like, I'm going to go to her house in the middle of the night, deliver it on her windowsill. She lives in a two-story house. I'm just going to put it right on her window. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be so good. And uh, I had a history of sneaking out, and so there were strict rules in my house about sneaking out. So I enlisted my little sister to, like, turn on all the faucets when I opened the garage so that I could load up the ladder and go sneak away. So I totally, like, got my sister involved in this. <laughs> so I, I head over to her house and I get to like one or two in the morning. I get the ladder out. I put it on the garage door. I'm climbing up with this ladder thinking this is so good. As I'm doing that, the neighbor, like a neighbor comes home and, I, and I'm kind of like, I'm like, I wonder if they see me and they just, I notice I'm kind of looking. I'm thinking this is maybe doesn't look great, but whatever. I, I get on top of the roof. I put it on the window. I sneak away. I make it home, unload the ladder, sneak in bed, turn off the lights. I put my head down thinking, oh man, this is so awesome. And then our house phone rings. It's like two in the morning and your house phone rings, right? You know, okay, this is not good. My sister answers the phone and I get up and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I hear like panic on the other end and I'm thinking, what in the world? 
And then um, they, I hear the voice say, is your mom home? So my mom's like kind of awake and my mom's standing there and I'm in the hallway and I'm seeing my mom on the phone and my mom's face changes. She's here today. She, she changes from like a smile to this look of just wrath. And she's looking at me and I'm thinking, what has happened? And my mom, I remember she was like, you're fixing this, but we have to go to the Pierce's house right now. The police are there. And I'm thinking, what? So turns out that the, the neighbor had called the police, like, I think someone's trying to break into their house. And at the same time, or a few minutes later, the police also get a report of the same truck as mine on a hit and run on the freeway. So they think, do you know what? Maybe he was maybe robbing the house. Maybe he abducted this girl. And now he's like loose on the run. Like, and so my, my wife wakes up in the middle of the night with a police officer at her door upstairs, seeing if she's there. And then saying, we think your boyfriend just got in a hit and run. And we're not sure if he's okay or what's going on, we need to call. So my girlfriend's mom, who's also here, called my mom and had this whole conversation. And I have to go to the house and I get there and there's police everywhere and her parents are out and my mom's there and I have to explain, I just wrote this love letter that's up on the window. And, and it turns out the window doesn't even open. So my now father-in-law had to climb up, get my love letter to deliver it. The police were just like, bro, just maybe don't do this next time. And I was so embarrassed, right? I was like, this is a perfect plan. This is going to be awesome. And I was just feeling and looking like a fool. Now, I bring that up because these chapters of the, the early days of Ephesus, they are young and in love with Jesus. And some of the things that we will read about, like the entire, this chapter says the entire city hears about Jesus. They are so in love. They're making sure every single person hears about Jesus. We see miracles happen. The whole idol making industry in the city begins to collapse because of this church. This church is young and in love, and they're just doing crazy things. And so we have a lot to learn from this young church. So I want us to look again at verse one, and we'll get some of the context again. Verse one of chapter 19 says this, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So a couple of things here. Number one, Ephesus was a city in the Roman Empire at that time. We have a picture, a map, so you can kind of see where it is. See Jerusalem in the bottom right. It's the other one in red. That's Ephesus. It's on the edge of modern day Turkey. And there was about 500,000 people in in this city at this time. It was the fourth largest in the Roman Empire. It was famous for, uh, they had a temple there to the the goddess of Artemis. There's an outdoor amphitheater you can still visit. It seats 25,000 people. It's still standing. So that was the city of Ephesus. That's where this is taking place. And it also mentions in verse one, Apollos was at Corinth. So if you remember last week, if you weren't here, Apollos was a young minister and he was proclaiming the Bible, but he hadn't, he didn't have the full story. He didn't know, he only knew about John the Baptist and his call to repentance. And so he got pulled aside and he was corrected. Like, you know, Jesus came and fulfilled that ministry and he rose again. And so, and he was like, oh, okay, that's the story. And then it also mentions Paul and he comes and visits. And so Paul finds some disciples and look what he says to them in verses two and three. It says this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. 
So it's likely that these disciples were actually made by Apollos just right before he left. Apollos is there preaching. These guys hear about it. They hear about the baptism of John, which is basically saying, hey, turn from your sin and return to God. And so they believed that, but they likely hadn't heard much more about Jesus or they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul's able to kind of put his finger on that and it's like, okay, so something's wrong here. You, you even heard of the Holy Spirit? Did you hear about Jesus? And so Paul picks up where Apollos left off and proclaims Jesus to them. And then verses four and five, this is what Paul says to them. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So he's like finishing the story. This is about Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So at this point, there's an important lesson we can learn as this church is just getting formed and planted. They had believed some things that were true about God, yet they were missing much that was true. And they heard the word of God. They heard the gospel. They, they were, in a sense, corrected, like, yeah, you're not quite getting it. And what they do in response is they believe. They say, okay, there's more to the story. I'll hear what you have to say. And so the first thing we can learn from this church is a thriving church is submitted to the word of God. They were willing to hear how their lives and beliefs and even their spiritual experiences maybe fell short where they were missing it, where they were wrong. And they were gladly willing to hear the word of God and be corrected. This new church was willing to say, whatever the word of God says, we we will accept it. Wherever we're wrong, wherever I'm missing it, I want to hear more. I want to be submitted to the full truth about Jesus and the word of God. Whatever Jesus says, I will accept it and believe it. And this church, even in this moment, as they humbly are just like, yeah, okay, I'll be about the word of God, they move on to be praised for their doctrinal clarity. Paul, and then later in the book of Revelation, Jesus praises them for their ability to recognize false doctrine. Like they would hear someone teach something about God or the Bible and they would know, no, that's, that's wrong. That's false doctrine. That's not in line with the word of God. They were known to be submitted to the word. And I know, at least for myself, maybe you often feel like there's just so much in this book and how could I really know if something's false or something's true and would I be able to recognize false doctrine? And the encouragement I have for us here is this. Jesus referred to his disciples often as sheep. If you know anything about sheep, They're not the most intelligent. They don't study theology. They don't know the whole Bible memorized. But what sheep do know is the voice of their shepherd. They intuitively know that sounds like my shepherd. I'll follow him. They also know who's not their shepherd. They intuitively know this person does not my shepherd. This doesn't sound like my shepherd. This is wrong. And be encouraged. If you've been born again, if you've been given a new heart, and given the mind of Christ, and you're full of the Spirit, you may not have read systematic theology and be studied up, but you will know this sounds like Jesus. This sounds a lot like my Savior. And you'll also know, you know what? That doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like Jesus. What makes it difficult, what confuses things for us, is we are constantly hearing other voices besides our shepherd. Think about that. How often are we spending time submitted to Jesus in his word? How often are we taking in his voice? How often are we taking in other voices? Other, it it could be even just harmless things. How often are we just taking in other podcasts, other shows, other songs that are not our shepherd? The more we do that, the more our our shepherd's voice will kind of get like dimmed and quiet and we'll be less and less familiar. And, And this is what's so important. The 
chief strategy of our enemy, Satan, is displayed when he, when he said to Eve, did God really say? That is the strategy of Satan in your life. Did God really say? Did Jesus really say that? Does the word of God really say that? There, there are so many things in our world today that um, are very clearly against what Jesus has said. And, and there are many areas like in your day-to-day life that you will, be, you will be challenged on some level. Did God really say? Did God really say he created male and female? Like that, that will become more and more an issue that we will face. Did God really say that? Did God really say, do you know what? The context for sex is a covenant between a husband and a wife. Did he really say that? Did God really say the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus? Did he really, did he say that? Did God really say that he loves the whole world, whoever, like whatever their past is? Did he really say that Satan every day will be constantly coming up against the word of God? And this church learn to be submitted to their shepherd, to the word of God. Reality, would we be a church that is fully submitted to God's word? Whatever, whatever he says, I will trust it and I will accept it. Would we, would you be someone that's not taking cues from culture or your own personality or your own preferences, but from the word of God? And when a, a difficult issue comes up, would, you, would we be a church that takes our cues by what Jesus has said? Would we even be willing for God to correct us and confront us and lead us to, to more truth? God said this through his prophet Isaiah. I love this verse. These are the ones on whom I look with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Would we be those who would hear the word of God and be like, oh, I just want to obey that. I, I believe this is real. And then as this church accepts and is corrected by the word, this, the second thing we can learn from them is what happens exactly right on that moment. Verses six and seven, it says this. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. What we can learn is a thriving church is not just in love with the word, it's also full of the spirit, like life. Do you know what happens when someone is willing to hear the word of God? The spirit like falls on them. The spirit falls. When they receive, it falls. We are to be a church that not only knows and loves what is in this, but when we receive it, we will be filled with the spirit. And this is something that's, it's so interesting and it's just so true. There tend to be churches and people who are like, you know, I'm like a Bible guy. No, you know, I'm like a spirit-filled Christian, right? Like, oh, that's the Bible teaching church. No, that's a spirit-filled church. Those, these two things go together. The spirit is the one who inspired the word of God. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit. These things go hand in hand. When Paul said to a church in Thessalonians, he said, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. We, you are to be a church that when we hear the word of God, like preach proclaimed, it leads to just radical spirit-filled worship and living. That is, the, that is what happens when you receive the word of God. If, if, if you think, no, you know, I'm really, I know the word, but there's like not a lot of life, 
Like maybe you're not really receiving the word as you think you would because the word and the spirit always go together. Now there's a little theological, um, I don't know what the word is, debate about what is exactly happening in this story. Uh, there are two camps, both Bible-believing, love Jesus Christians, who aren't, we're not quite sure exactly what's happening. Some say this, these were born-again Christians who just hadn't heard the whole story of the Holy Spirit. And so when they hear about it, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, which we can get more into that, but basically the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. They're speaking in tongues and prophesying. That's what happened. Others say, you know, I don't think they were Christians. I think they were maybe just disciples of John. They were like God-fearers, but this moment is when they get saved and that's why they receive the Spirit. And here's the thing, we don't know for sure. That's why there's two options. There's two debates, there's two sides. But here's what everyone agrees on. The followers of Jesus need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone agrees with that fact. Wherever you want to stand, that's fine. Here's the thing. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are a church that should be filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said of this, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Are, are we a church that not only loves and submitted to the word, but is full of the spirit? If you have questions specifically on like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is that experience? What is that? Britt gave a teaching earlier this year on Acts 1.8. We have that online if you just look that up. That's a great sermon. I'd recommend you to listen to that. Be encouraged about that. It was such a sweet morning when we were just praying for the baptism, more of the filling, the, the upon experience of the spirit. We couldn't recommend that more. So we see that from this church. Now, Here's, here's what we, we need to think about. This church loved the word of God. They were full of the spirit. They were, they were on fire for Jesus. But we know about 50 years later, this church in Ephesus received a message from Jesus himself. In the book of Revelation, when John was on the island of Patmos, Jesus showed up and he, that's where we got the whole book of Revelation. And he, he has messages for seven churches at that time in this area. And the first church is the church in Ephesus. And Jesus, I mean, imagine if Jesus was like, hey, this is scripture, but it's like two reality carp. This is specifically for this church. And Ephesus got this message from Jesus 50 years later. And the reason why we should look at it now is because in this message, Jesus brings up these days, the early days, what they were like when they were in love with the word and full of the spirit. So I'm gonna read that for us. Revelation chapter two, the first five verses, it says, this is from Jesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What that means, pause, is Jesus is like, I'm, I'm present in the midst of my church. The lampstands were, were churches. I'm walking, I'm in the midst of my church. He says this, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Which Pause. He's saying, you're still about the word of God. Good job. And then he says this, I know you are enduring patiently, that you are bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. And just pause again. Imagine if Jesus shows up and says, I have this against you. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I mean, that's a chilling message from Jesus speaking. And what we have to learn, if there's one thing this morning we need to hear about the church in Ephesus is this, a thriving church can forget its first love. And what makes this so devastating is this was an amazing church who loved the word, who were full of the spirit, who were changing their city, Bible-believing, loving. We, we all know people who have fallen away from Jesus, but Bible-believing, spirit-filled people, like what we must learn from this church is even a thriving church can drift from its first love for Jesus. And what is heartbreaking, you can visit the city and the church in Ephesus today and there is no more church. Jesus honored what he said and he came and removed that church. And scholars estimate they made it maybe another 50 years and then they died. And as as discouraging as that is, this is in the word of God for us, for our sake to learn, to learn like would this not happen to Reality Carp? Would this not happen to me? I don't wanna drift in my first love for Jesus. And in his message to them, he gives like three steps. If you've lost your first love, he's saying to them, he says, remember where you've fallen, repent and return to me. He says, remember where, you have, where you've fallen, repent and, and return to me. And as I was studying this week and, and just like, man, this is heavy, I, f- I felt the Lord be like, hey, stop writing. I want, you, I want you to do this, Bo. I want you to take a break. I want you to go on a walk and I want you to do this like a, as, a, as a practice. I want you to remember what it was like when you had just fallen in love with me. I want you to remember what you were like, what you, your, your heart, what, 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 the, the crazy foolish things you did for me. And as I started to think about that, I was honestly embarrassed. I was like, man, I did crazy stuff. I remember conversations I would have. I remember a time when, when I was just like talking to my family as if they were unbelievers, like, no, you don't understand God's love. And they're like, yeah, no, we get it. I'm like, no, you don't know. And I bought this huge, huge study Bible and it was like five pounds and I brought it everywhere I went. Every Chick-fil-A just brought my giant Bible, just set it down anywhere. I, it was like a statement, like, I'm in love with Jesus. Here's my Bible. I was just, I was like, I was honestly, and I was thinking about these stories and I felt embarrassment. And then I thought, why was I, why is that embarrass me? Like, I am actually embarrassed about what I was like those early days when I was in love with Jesus and in love with his word. And I remembered David as he was so in love with the Lord. He was the king and he was dancing like a fool. And he even says, I'll become even more foolish than this because he was so in love with Jesus. Do you remember, do you remember those early days when you fell in love with the Lord? Do you remember when the word of God was like, I can't get, I just love to read. I don't even understand it all, but I just love it. Do you remember those early days? And I think it's just so important to remember the church in Ephesus loved the Bible. They loved the truth. They even knew all the way to the end, they knew what was right and what was wrong. Yet they, they had approached the Bible in such a way that their love went cold. And this is really important for some of us who are like doctrinally minded. We, we're Bible readers. It's possible for you to love truth and not Jesus. 
it's possible for you to even be about the truth of the Bible and yet grow cold in your love for Jesus. This was the Pharisees, to grow cold in your love for Jesus. We have to remember that Christianity is more than an intellectual like practice. This isn't about agree to these checkpoints. I'm a Christian. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be a Christian is to be born again, meaning I have a new heart. My loves are reoriented. I love Jesus. A true Christian is someone who loves the Lord, doesn't just believe or agree or, yeah, I know these theological points. My heart is changed and I love the Lord. And the the Ephesians knew the truth, but their love began to grow cold. God, this happened earlier in the, in the history of Israel and God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about this. He says this to the people of Israel. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says, I remember you used to love me, and I was like this fountain, and you were just receiving life from me. He says, but not only did you forsake me, you went and tried to like go to other fountains and like made cisterns, jars that were broken. They weren't even holding water. He's not only did you leave the source of life and your love and salvation, you're, you're trying to find that in these other things. So I remember when you were in love with me. And, and I, I really believe the, the most important thing when we, when we realize, man, my love's kind of faded. I've grown cold. What we have to do in this moment, as, as Jesus said to the church, we, we aren't called to muster up love. We are called to remember, remember those early days. And what were those early days about? What we are, we're remembering is the love of Jesus for us. That's what changed us. That's what brought us to life. That's what actually made us just like, I love Jesus. The greatest fuel for your love for Jesus is remembering his love for you remembering where you were before he found you, thinking about where you would be if Jesus never came for you. Remember there was the story in Luke 7 where Jesus is having dinner at a religious leader's house. Okay, so imagine you're a religious leader. You have Jesus over to dinner. In the middle of dinner, a prostitute walks in the door. Like, this is weird. This, is, this happened. You're like, uh, you're not invited to my house with Jesus. Like I'm having dinner with Jesus. A prostitute walks in. And she just starts to weep. And then she falls at Jesus' feet. Like, think about how awkward this is. And she's weeping and her tears are falling on Jesus' face. And then you're like, oh man, his feet are dirty and now there's like mud and how am I gonna clean this up? And then she starts cleaning it with her hair. And you're like, wow, that's disgusting. And then she takes out this ointment and she's anointing Jesus and she's weeping. And you're just like, what is happening right now? And then Jesus turns to you He says, do you know what? She understands what it is to be rescued. Her sins were many and she understands that I have forgiven her. And so she loves me much. And he's like, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint me. You don't love me. But she, though her sins were many, 
Though she is a prostitute, though she's had a wicked past, she knows that I've forgiven her and that is leading her to this ridiculous love for me. When you remember where Jesus has rescued you from, that is the fuel for your love for Jesus. So he says, remember. And the second thing he says is this, you need to repent, repent. He's, he's asking, he's telling, what has replaced your love for me? What, what are those cisterns that you are looking to to provide sustenance for you? What has led you away from my love? Uh, as I was preparing this again, this normally doesn't happen, but strong, I really felt the Holy Spirit say, I, I want you to bring up sexual sin. Um, I really believe that sexual sin is maybe the greatest way that we, we, church, us, in this room, have quenched our love for Jesus. I really believe the Lord was saying, hey, there is sexual sin here. And as there is sexual sin, as there is sexual sin, even hidden, even in your heart and your mind, if it is nowhere else, that will rob you of your love and affection for Jesus. It happened to David, a man after God's own heart. It happened to Solomon. He said, don't go after those women, Solomon. They will not only lead you away, they're gonna take your heart away from me. And even Solomon was led astray. It leads us to this place of shame and hiding. It numbs us to this better love of God. It like keeps us in this place where we're not willing to hear and receive the love of God. I I really believe there is unconfessed sexual sin this morning that needs to be dealt with that is affecting your love and devotion for Jesus. I think also just distractions. Like, yeah, there's gnarly sin, and then there's just like junk food for our soul, right? It's not evil, it's not wicked, it's just Netflix, or it's just sports, or it's just hobbies. It's good stuff, but we can, cons- we can just be taking in so much, be so distracted, as if these things, these things will satisfy us, as if they're more important than our love for Jesus, I know for myself, for many of you, it's busyness. It's, hey, I honestly just don't, I know I need to like spend time with the Lord. I just, I don't have enough time. I have too much to do. I, I gotta like, I, I, yeah, I, I'm believing the right things. I'm not believing in heresy. Like I, I'm coming to church, but like I'm just, my, I'm just really busy to spend time with the Lord. For me, honestly, it's sleep. I stay up too late. I, I know I have this time with the Lord in the morning and I just sleep in and I'm like, dang it. I'll try again tomorrow. Something as simple as sleep. Something as simple as a lack of discipline. I know some of us have wounds, maybe from the Lord, like you let me down here, I'm disappointed in you. Maybe it's from other people and we allow those things to keep us from like opening up our heart to the Lord. And, And I love Jesus says repent after he reminds us of his love for us. He's not saying, listen, you need to earn your love. You need to like change your life and then I will love you. He says, I love you. I died for you. You are covered in my blood. So repent. Turn away from these lesser things. You already have this fountain offered to you of life and forgiveness and healing. So so stop going there. Repent. And then the third thing he says is return. Return. Do, he's saying, church in Ephesus, do what you did in the early days. Do, church, what you did when you were in love with Jesus. What did you used to do? And I think this is amazing. Jesus, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's a good pastor. He doesn't address our emotions. He addresses our actions. 
He's not saying, listen, you need to like muster up some love for me. That's what you need to do. He says, I want you to do what you used to do because he knows, this is so important, that your obedience and your action is fuel for your devotion for Jesus. Your obedience and your action to repent and to spend time with him is the fuel that will warm your love back up for Jesus. When you obey Jesus, it's like, if, you're, if your heart is a furnace, every act of obedience is like putting a hearty log in the fire. And that's actual fuel that will lead to worship. If all you do is just blow air, like, I just really want to love Jesus, it may get hot for like a second, but the moment you stop just blowing air on it, it's going to grow cold. Obedience and action is, is the fuel. If you're like, man, I want to love Jesus more, he's saying, obey me. Do what you used to do. Like, spend time read your Bible. It's simple. Pray. Be with me. And ironically, I know so many of us are doing many things for Jesus, but the, the main thing, what the main thing is, is to simply sit and be with Jesus. Remember Martha and Mary? Martha was like, I'm serving Jesus. I have Jesus is over. I'm doing all this stuff. And then Mary's over there just sitting with Jesus, and she's annoyed. Mary, why is Mary doing this? She's not helping me. Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And Jesus says to her, Martha, you are distracted with many things. The one thing you need to do is what your sister's doing, sitting with me at my feet, unhurried time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. Church, you cannot sustain love for Jesus if you don't spend time with him. It doesn't work that way. You cannot sustain a love for the Lord if you do not sit at his feet. If you do not do that every day growing, that's how relationships work. We all know we've seen relationships fall apart because it was not as daily, I want to I pursue this person. Another thing we, we need to do, we used to do, was simply doing what we're doing now. We're, we show up, we get to the gathering of the church. This is a, one of the most profound things you will do all week is the discipline of coming. And, and it's, it's like anything else that's good. Why would we be surprised that the less we go, like the, the, the less we want to go? It's like working out or eating healthy or whatever. It's like, oh, I missed it. Ah, oh, man, I know I should go. Oh, I missed it. It's this discipline of simply showing up to be with the people of God, to hear the word of God is such an important aspect of fueling our love for Jesus. And then the last thing I would say is this. Do we fight? For, an, for one another's love for Jesus? Like, is this, do you have these conversations? Is this what we are most concerned about in each other's lives? Is this what we check in with? How is your love for Jesus? How is your love for Jesus? And so Jesus says, return, come back, come back to me. Do what you used to do. On uh, the last day of this feast in the book of John, Jesus stood up and he made this invitation. And I want us to hear this, these words of Jesus as an invitation for us as a church right now, the second service today. I want us to hear this from Jesus and respond. Jesus says, on the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what we're about to do in worship is, is to obey this, to obey Jesus' invitation to come to him, to come and drink. We, our souls are thirsty. They are thirsty. And we can look for this satisfaction in these lesser places. Or right now, right now, you have an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus, to fix your eyes 
on Jesus. And, and I even want to encourage us to do these three things Jesus said. Spend, spend a, a moment, a song, remember what it was like when you loved Jesus just in those early days. I want to encourage us to repent. Repent of the specific areas of our life that are clouding our love for Jesus. And as we do that, we, we'll take communion to remember, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted. We'll have a prayer team here. If there's baggage from whenever, that's today or 20 years ago, like we come and get prayer, come and confess that. We want to minister to one another and then do the things we did at first. I want to encourage us just to simply sing to Jesus, to look at his face, the one who is worthy and worship him. I, I've, we say this a lot, but I want to encourage you to not leave early and, and to spend some minutes at the feet of Jesus, asking him to refresh your love for him. So Jesus, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that the fuel right now is first and foremost your love. We can love you because you came after us. We were wandering away like lost sheep and you, the good shepherd, pursued us and you wooed us to yourself and you laid your life down for us. Your blood that you shed cleanses us from our sin, removes our guilt. Jesus, thank you that right now, if we've trusted in you, we do not stand condemned. We stand as beloved sons and daughters, forgiven. There's not one sin in this room that is stronger than the love of Jesus, that is stronger than the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that as we sit with you, that you would lead us in repentance that you would graciously do that work you do to say, hey, this needs to go. You need to give that back to me. You need to turn from that. And Lord, would we then fix our eyes onto Jesus, the one who is truly satisfying, the one who is water that, that never runs dry, this fountain that's just continually satisfying our souls. Would we again taste and see that the Lord is good? Would those of us who, who know these truths in our brains, would we taste again? Would we taste and see? Would we experience the love of God? Would you just tenderly woo us, bring us back to those early days?